When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I would like to tell you a story. Knife Talk is sponsored by Evenheat, the manufacturers of the finest knife treat ovens available. Find your next heat treat oven at evenheat-kiln.com. Welcome to Knife Talk. This is a knife podcast that we talk about things for you to listen to. We talk about knives, we talk about whatever you want to talk about in regards to knives in this world. As always, we're here with Craig Lockwood of Chop Knives and the greatest of all time, Mareko Momasi, Momasi Fire Arts. Gentlemen. What's up? Oh, sorry, was that? <laughs> that was, that to do was that good. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Is it 1996 again? <laughs> <laughs> I actually just saw all those commercials again, so it was on top of my mind. I love that. That was a good. So, so what is ah? Uh, <laughs> what's going on, guys? <laughs> oh man uh i've been getting all right so i'm an idiot and haven't talked about this at all but i have this hammer in coming up down in arizona travis wurtz uh he's a he's a knife maker he's a grinding machine maker and he's just and and he's one of the hosts on knife or death which is this crazy spinoff from fortune fire uh where people are chopping shit up but knife or uh, die. he does yeah, knife or die. <laughs> and uh, he he does a hammer in every year down at his place in Arizona, Casa Grande. And uh, he has people, uh, like some of the best of the best, teaching classes. And somehow I snuck in. And so I'm going to be down there talking Damascus and co- talking about the coffee treatment, doing actual uh, practical walkthrough demonstration with the coffee, at least. Uh, the Damascus is way too time intensive. I got about an hour to work with. So I'm going to be doing a kind of a discussion and kind of talking about my uh, approach to Damascus making. But that's happening this coming weekend, actually, um, for, uh, Saturday and Sunday. Uh, down in Casa Grande, so I've just been working on getting material put together and kind of a curriculum laid out so that I can streamline um, the conversation because, as you guys have probably noticed, I have a tendency to talk too much. Uh, Come, so, on. Come on. So that's what I've been working on this last week myself. I, you know, uh, nice. Mike Quisenberry asked me if I was going to go to that a couple uh, weeks ago, and it sounds like it's going to be a yeah. really awesome event, and, and um, I'm really, really ex- excited for you. It's going to be great. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Neil Commonmore is going to be there, too. Oh, It'll be good to see and hang out with him again. Uh, Will Brigham's going to be there talking all kinds of stuff. I mean, just, wow. There's just going to be a bunch of super talented people. High level Last stuff. year, they had like, yeah, they had like 150 people there last year. They're looking to probably up it to about 200 to 250 people or something like that. Wow. It's going to be a big event. And, uh, yeah. That's going to nice. be great. Hopefully, nice. hopefully I can hold up, stand, talk in front of the people. Well, <laughs> how's the, the gold knife coming along? Oh, my God. So I, I got a plating layer on it, and I'm not sure how I feel about it. And when, uh, just like Jeff was actually talking about the other day about setting things down 
and going and do some something else. I, I sometimes have to set things down. So mm. I've, I've put it down for a few days and I'm going to come back to it to see how, uh, how I feel about it later because uh, it's definitely happened before where I was like pissed off and annoyed by a pattern uh, just because it didn't come out exactly the way I'd planned it. And that was basically because of my forging, um, not necessarily because of the plan. And, uh, but anyways, I, but then I was super annoyed at the time, set it down, come back to it a week later. I'm like, actually, you know what? This is actually a cool pattern. I'm going to work with this and make it happen. So that's what I'm doing with the gold knife right now. So, so I, like I said, I've been working on kind of getting some materials put together so I can have some actual physical examples to show uh, when I do the talk down in Arizona of Damascus patterns and possibly actually have some material available for people to buy. Um, try to oh. play with the idea of making Damascus for people to buy. Whoa, that's a good idea. Good idea. Mm. Yeah. Love that idea. Very nice. Yeah. What about so you, I, I've been I've been smithing this week, blacksmith. Oh, boy. Oh, do tell. <laughs> Not well, not quite. I made a few hooks, so I'm I'm in the process of tidying up the shop so it can be a a retail shop too, as we mentioned before. Um, so my belts, I just need them up and out of the way and in some sort of order. So I've got this little devil forge thing. So I made these these hooks, and um, I'm going to be doing some welding this week. I'm making some pedestals from my grinders and so on. Um, nice. So doing lots of stuff that I haven't really done before and really enjoying it. Um, and aside from that, I, I had a couple of, sort of custom orders that I needed to get out this week of um, steak knives with purple heart handles. And the purple sure. heart come out really, really good. I'm really happy with them. So, nice. so that was good. But um, yeah, so this week I'll be, I'll be welding for the first time. Never welded before. So I've, I've gone and done what I shouldn't have done is go out and buy the cheapest MIG welder I could find. <laughs> well, MIG welding is a, a good place to start, though, if you've never welded. I, I got to say, that's where I started. And yeah. It, and basically, I mean, you kind of point and shoot, and it's like running a glue gun, basically. Yeah, and it's metal. not critical what I'm doing. Basically, I've got some, you know, sort, sort of box section, and I'm just going to put a plate on the top, one on the bottom to make mm. little pedestals. So it should sure, be sure. easy enough. should be easy The enough. one thing I will uh, stress is the most important thing to welding is being in a comfortable position. It's like you don't – if you're if – you're, you know, you want to make sure that you're as comfortable as possible when you're doing your passes – you're you're kind of it's almost like if you're I don't know you don't play golf but you practice putting you want to just make sure that you're in the right position like especially like your whatever your hand is hold the hand holding the stinger or the the gun you want to make sure yeah. that you're in a resting position like your elbow on the on the on on a rest is good and you just want to make sure that you're comfortable it's welding is all setup it's really like ninety percent setup and ten percent welding but uh, the most important thing is is like just don't hold it in midair you want to be in a comfortable position. Uh, that's yeah, a lot of yeah. MIG, welders were, MIG welders were created for people because arc welding and TIG welding are kind of difficult, and they wanted to be able to teach people how to do it. And MIG welding is the best way to get into welding. But the the, the thing that people never talk about is, and also it's trusting it's trust how it sounds. It should sound like bacon mm. bacon hitting the frying pan. It should be like a very yeah, easy sizzle. Bacon. And then if it's like popping a lot, that means usually you're too close, you're too far away. And it's it, use your ear. Your ears are actually some of your better. Uh, the better tools, the better uh, body parts to use when you're deciding if you're going to weld right or not. That's it. Well, and also <laughs> figuring body out. Parts yeah, so I don't know what else to say. <laughs> you, the, the ears are good body parts for welding, period. Next T-shirt. Well, and as, as, as the material heats up, too, you have to kind of adjust the feed or the amperage, too, if it gets really hot. 
um, which can kind of be a little fiddly. But if you're not doing a, if you're not running long beads, then it shouldn't be too I'm much a, of a problem. I'm assuming you got a flux core. Is that right? It is, yeah. yeah. So it's it, yeah, it's sort of screened itself. So it's, yeah, from what I can gather from, I mean, I've just been looking at YouTube videos of people using these machines. That the biggest issue I'm going to have is these bloody spools stopping mm. stopping the feed and so yeah. on. You know, because you know it's, it's a cheap machine, but you know, for what I need, hopefully That's it'll fine. just do the you job. You know, what? I, I I used to hate flux core and those little one ten welders, and then I was on a job site and we used one, and and when you get them dialed in, they work great. Um, Hmm. The key is is to keep that keep your your you know your arm the 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 whole thing stra- as straight as possible without any uh, anything in the way and then also get yourself some good wire brushes to make sure you're getting this getting rid of the slag you don't want to weld on top hmm. of the slag so you want to have like a, a right angle grinder community time get yourself a nice wire brush and keep <laughs> that shit clean you'll be fine yeah it's great it's yeah so great. I got the wire brushes. I've got those, you know, those magnets, nice. you know, the, for the for the ninety degree angles and so on. So I, I should I should be set up. But yeah, I'll share some videos this week of me trying to weld just just for everybody's entertainment. Really. Well, you have a whole community who's here for you. So I'm sure. I mean, we can get you whoever whoever you need, whoever's help you need. I'm sure we can get them on the horn. <laughs> well, I got I got one last. You know what you should do is uh, in my experience wor- welding with flux cores that it creates a l- especially in indoor it creates a lot of s- like this nasty smoke. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you can uh, do it either outside or somewhere well ventilated, um, you that would be a good move. Otherwise, it, you're going to have this nastiness in the air and it doesn't go away unless you cycle it out somehow. Right. So, yeah. That's one last thing. That cool. Was it. Good advice. No, those good are advice. all. Those are all good. I mean, you've never done it before, so it's it's all good. All good stuff. Hmm. It's gonna be fun. What, what about yourself, Jeff? What was this, this week? week kind of brought up. Kind of sucked. To be honest with you, it was uh, it was yeah. a very trying week. Um, we had a lot of things happening that were out of our control, which were disappointments. Um, and I had a lot of like personal uh, problems that I had to like kind of get through, and it made kind of work very difficult. Including, um, I got a call from uh, my partner Tony saying, "Did you buy five dollars worth of FIFA stuff in Berlin?" I'm like what? <laughs> well, our credit card, our <laughs> debit card, our business card got hacked for the third time in a, in three months. Oh my god! Three months. So we're ta- Tony and I are talking. I said, "Look, Tony. I mean, before anyone makes any jokes about what websites I'm going to, it, it's all very, you know, I'm like five <laughs> or six different. I'm buying five or six from five or six different companies." So Tony says to me, "He's like, yeah, maybe you know what you should do is um, give everybody a, you know, give some of your customers, you know, give some of your, you know, the people you're buying stuff a call because obviously, you know, it's happening three times in three months. You're only using a couple different places. We kind of." We kind of uh, mm. got it down to right. a couple stores, and I, so you know what? I thought, ah, you know what? I'm going to call this one company, one of these. Uh, not anything, not any of the customers that are uh, any of this. Our sponsors are, are kind of we've weeded them out because it's three times in three months. It's like, so I call up this one flea bag knife supply company, and I and I get on the phone with a woman, and I said, listen, I, you know, I'm, I'm a good customer, blah blah blah. I just want you to know, I've had my credit card, my business card hacked. Three times in three months, and I just want you to know. Maybe you should. I just wanted you to know, as a as a courtesy call, that you might want to just have, you know be aware that you know my mm. information is being you know whatever. So the customer service woman says immediately, "Oh, well, it couldn't be from us. We have a very high security system." And then silence. And I was like, 
all right, well, you know, thought I'd give you a call. And I got off the phone. I got back on the phone with Tony. And I said, all right, I know who is, I know whose website it's from. It's from them. It's from that. As soon as that person, <laughs> as soon as she said that, I was just like, I was thinking to myself, you're on the phone taking customer service orders. What the fuck do you know about hackers and people getting their credit cards stolen? You know nothing. You think that you're, you're smarter than these people who are these criminals? Get the fuck out of here. So I immediately called Tony and I was just like... <laughs> All right, I know who it is. Immediately, he's like, you don't have to call anybody else. I'm like, no, 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 this, this is them. So that was that. And then really I had, a, you know, irrit- you know, lots of blah, blah, blah. But the best part was, is uh, and um, the best part is that I saved a little bit of time to do a couple little projects. And then on Friday, I, um, I was, you know, I got all my stuff done. I said, you know what, I'm going to try to like, win this week back and I started on working on some uh, new orders early and I tell you what the last 24 hours I felt so good because I got so efficient and I uh, I worked uh, most of Saturday all day Friday I got all this stuff done and it put me in such a just putting my head down to nose to the grindstone it just changed the whole my whole mindset it just I felt really good I, it was like a it was almost like a, all my problems were washed away just putting my head down and not being kind of blue about certain things. And, you know, it was just a, you know, it was like, it was like, I was washed. I was cleansed by this work. So it ended up really well. So, and you did that folder too. Oh yeah. That was actually, you know, I wanted to talk about that too, because I'm going to talk about that uh, for the community showcase. That was, I try to budget my time a little bit for, you know, in the afternoons, especially, uh, if I can get everything done, I try to get a little bit of, you know, like R&D kind of stuff. I don't even like to say R&D, but it's like, you know, and I've been fooling around with folders for such a long time and trying to get them right. And I try to slip joints and they don't look great. And and then I got to do this uh, friction folder that I'm going to talk about for the community showcase. And that was a lot of fun. And I got a lot of good feedback. And I actually kind of rather do those for a while. So, But I'm going to try to get those in at some point. Hmm. That, it did look a good like a fun thing to do. Yeah. Oh yeah, you know what? I tell you what, no, no, no hand sanding. There was no hand sanding on that fucking <laughs> thing. You know, it's a lot of mechanics yeah. and a lot. All you know, three. Well, I'll talk about it later. Let's talk about it later. So radio tease right there. Talk about it later. You know, actually, something else I forgot to mention is I did. I like I said, I've been doing the Damascus, uh, but I've been really getting into my AMK and grinding away on that thing and. The, I guess I the reason I was doing I did some Instagram stories and uh, I need to put them up as I highlights. But uh, I, I, the reason I did some stories about them is because of the way I do it. A lot of people use angle grinder. Angle grinder <laughs> uh, uh, Can you just do that again? <laughs> that was better. That was better. <laughs> that was better. <laughs> I. Uh, but you know, I when I worked for Bob, that's the way we did it, and that's how a lot of people still do it. Is use an angle grinder with a piece of material, your Damascus in a vice, and grind away on it. And um, I went actually towards the end of my time working with Bob, when I was making the Damascus, I realized like I was losing. There was just like inconsistencies in the pattern. I didn't like that. I was like, well, why don't I just grind it on the platen on my grinder? And so that was. That was the beginning of me grinding my Damascus spillets on grinders versus uh, with the angle grinder. And what's awesome about it is that, you know, it stays nice and flat across the face and you you don't have any issues with potential divots and stuff. Um, but I was using uh, I was using my AMK and the thing with the 12 inch radius. So I, I start by hogging off all of the bark, the forge scale bark, and then uh 
And so the 12 inch radius with that, you know, those, those shredders, they still completely blow them. I, so I, I ground off uh, the scale. I ground the bills clean and flat. I also ground a couple blades all on 136 grit. And it wasn't just any blade materials, Crew Forge V, which is a freaking nightmare to grind because it's so wear resistant because of that vanadium in there. But the AMK uh, just took care of business. And if you go to amktactical.com, uh, you can get 10% off right now on anything you order. I sound like a uh, infomercial, good. but seriously though, they, they want to, that you know they're there to help you out and if you put in this code mk10 you can get 10 percent off anything that you want to buy from there not just the whole grinder but any kind of uh you know accessories wheels and stuff like that they'll take care of you an example of what they have to offer their amk 77 which is a single speed uh two by 72 inch grinder it comes with the the rotary uh the radius or sorry the 12 inch serrated wheel uh, with the pivot that pivots around to the uh, you know the flat platen, it's thirteen ninety nine ninety nine US dollars, uh, so it's fourteen hundred dollars basically, and it's a beast of a machine. It's super versatile, and uh, it's going to become it, it, it's already a huge part and going to become a huge part of how I make my Damascus is by having the ability to just flip that wheel around to the platen and back and forth to clean up my Damascus because it is, it is a beast. It is an absolute beast. And uh, it's awesome. So again, if you go to amktactical.com, anything you get there, put in the code AMK, capitalize AMK10, uh, you can get 10% off. They'll take care of you. That was a Brilliant. slick, slick, slick transition right there, man. I, was I didn't know it was coming. It, it come and smacked me on the back of the head. Didn't know that Craig's was coming. Probably like, what the hell is he talking no, about? No, no, that was a slick transition. That was slick. <laughs> so that's a, that's a tip from Morocco. So go to amktactical.com for 10% off. And we've got lots of tips from our listeners. So this week, we've asked you guys for more tips um, because we've been learning so much from you. It's been great. So we're going to jump straight in. Do you want to take the first, Jeff? Yes. This comes from HNH Metalworks. His tip is tape up your blade when sharpening, and if you mess up on the grinder, it'll only scratch the tape. I think you mentioned that to me before too, Mareko. Put a little blue yeah, tape actually, on the blend a little blue tape on the face, and then you you uh, you get a little bit more protection on your on your the face at the bevel of the knife. Yeah, it was a few episodes back, but yeah, yeah. it makes it, it. I think more than anything in your in your brain when you're thinking about it especially if it's a damascus or even if you've spent all this time hand sanding the knife and then you're terrified that you're going to scratch up the face uh by sharpening on the machine especially um put some tape on there and it's going to help you feel way more comfortable because the reality is if you're holding the blade at any kind of angle away from the the grinding surface stone belt whatever the face isn't going to come into contact but there's always that little part even every time when i sharpen too there's this little part of my brain that's like oh man i'm totally gonna mess it up i'm gonna hit that surface and it's gonna screw up my finish and i'm gonna get pissed but that was that was my jeff trying to get jeff pissed off anyways (laughs) uh have you been drinking a lot of coffee talking through my t- no i haven't had any you're coffee this me. morning that's you're my kidding problem. me i haven't no no <laughs> coffee yet um, Intense. but yeah the tape on the blade that's a yeah. good move and i tape up my blades str- as soon as i finish hand sanding i mm. tape them up and i generally i put a bit of sort of camellia oil on the blade then tape sure. it up so that tape comes off like a sheath so you can bring it take it on and off as you please 
And that stays on, really, until the end, you know, until the ver- until I then come to sharpen. And then I can just put that sheath back on again, knowing that it's protected until I ship it. I've never seen that. So the oil and then the tape. Yeah, so oil, oil it gently. It slide on and off. Then use a painter's tape to just tape, yeah. you know, wind around the blade. And what will happen oh, then I, is that okay, the tape right. will come off in one, like one, almost like a Kydex sheath almost, you know, it's yeah. just this. And you can just pull it in and out as you please. Love it. Good old-fashioned in and out. Yeah, all right, this oh, next have one. Mercy. Have mercy. It's <laughs> <laughs> Sunday morning. Have mercy. All right. Come on, baby. <laughs> this next one is from uh, at Finite. That's P-H-Y-N-I-G-H-T. He says, or they say, here's some advice. Ben slash weld some sheet steel uh, into a dustpan. Plastic ones never <laughs> last long in my workshop. Uh, another good tip is you can just buy <laughs> steel dust. That's what I was going to say. That's what I was going to say. Uh, you know, it's 10 bucks, maybe 15 even, but I'll tell you, that's worth my time. Uh, Stop and grab one of those babies yeah, instead I, of bending around the sheet metal. If you try, if you use a plastic dustpan to kind of pick up hot uh, drill <laughs> drill filings, it kind of, they end up oh, yeah. catching in the, yeah. Boom. It's not good. Not good. We got another from, and I'm going to say this wrong. I think it's Tines Mole. Well, that's better than I would have um, done. Yeah, I, I think it's T I N E S M O L E J on Instagram. Um, if you're not 100% sure about your process, make a flowchart, a checklist, or something to fall back on, and make sure you aren't missing steps or painting yourself into a corner. Such as an untempered knife that already has a handle on it is their worst blunder. Mm, been there. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a good idea. So you've got this complete checklist so you know exactly where you are at each point with every knife. Um, yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. Nice. Nothing to, anything, to keep you organi- <laughs> anything to keep you organized is good. All right, next one comes from Matthew Lee 67 Tip, if you, and this, is, this, is a, this is a good one. I mean, this is a good one if you've got a little extra money on your hands. If you, if you need to get your hands clean after grinding, get a cheap rotary electric toothbrush and make a baking soda paste with water to scrub. Very few things work better. I personally add a little borax, but it's but it's really rough. Uh, you know, get yourself an electric toothbrush, I guess. I, I, I uh, I'm a big fan of go. I get go. I have a. I get those pump uh, containers of Gojo that like mechanics uh, stuff that usually smells like uh, orange or cherry. It's got a little pumice in it. That's usually does the deal. Maybe I'll have a little bit of a like a, a, a old Scotch Bright by the sink so I can kind of really get scrubbing in there. Oh yeah, get in there. I, do you? Do you? Uh, Jesus do you Christ, guys have Swarfiga? What the fuck is going on? Do you today? guys use Swarfiga at all? What the fuck is that? Swarfiga. I think it's a British. I think it's a British thing. So I know Alec took a bunch with him across to America when he went. It's it's basically the same. It's it's like this gel kind of stuff with an abrasive in it, yeah. and it, it just gets anything mm. off your hands. So I use sure. that, but I'll just get a little bit of aftershave and put that into the pot. So whenever you do it, your hands are going to smell good afterwards. Aftershaving. Oh my nice. gosh, this is a high <laughs> level. It's a high level French situation here. <laughs> You want to be walking around soap, with, with Jeff hands. Well, you know, look, I, I, there you, uh, go. you know, I have to say, you know, you know, never mind. I was going to say something kind of yeah, rude. I'm not going to do it. 
I'll say something really quick. So before I joined Dragon Breath, joined Dragon's Breath Forge, something they do is they keep they have one of those old fashioned borax hand soap dispensers where you, you pump the steel rod up and the borax comes out of the bottom. And but they they keep dish soap and especially that kind of I think it's Dawn or something like that that you know they use to help clean up animals after oil spills and stuff like that. But you. That that soap really cuts through oil, and then when you add that borax to it, it gives that texture, that kind of pumice texture, that really helps get in and grind that the nastiness out of your hands. But that's been kind of my poor man's gojo is dollar store uh, <laughs> dish soap and borax. So if you uh, if you don't want to go, if you uh, yeah. Don't want to get. To, all right, fuck. I can't talk. About it. <laughs> I, told you, I need some fucking coffee. Right? <laughs> awesome. You know, I remember oh in school in in sort of wood shop there, we'd always just use sugar. So we'd use like a soap and just put sugar. some sugar in there because that's abrasive too, obviously. And you just right. yeah, you just throw yeah, it there. Uh, so, sugar aftershave from a high level. That's a that's a Madison Avenue Craig's back. <laughs> Madison Avenue Craig Opulent. is back. Opulent. All right, who's next? Morocco, do you want to take the next one? Oh, does that mean the next one? I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so the next one is from Taurus Knife Works, or sorry, Taurus Knife Company. Co. Jesus. Uh, I started setting a timer when I acid etched my blades. Left one in the acid overnight last week. Emoji face looking up in the left corner of their head. Uh, yeah, that's a bummer when you do that. I've done that. It sucks. Timers are good. Um... Well, it's just, and that's part of the reason I cut back my concentration in my ferric. I actually did the math the other day, and my ferric mixture for etching for depth is 15 to 1 huh. ratio. So it's cut mm. low. Uh, but it makes a huge difference in how, I, I just, I feel like it cuts really clean. But it also helps save that issue of, oh, I have a knife in the acid and I forgot to set a timer and I've started grinding on another blade or I'm forging some Damascus or something. Oh, shit, it's been an hour. You go back and it's fine. Huh. So. There you go. Nice. That's a good, that's nice. a good, that's a good, that's a good one. Timers <laughs> are a good idea, though. <laughs> We've got one from Dullmaker, and that's Dullmaker on Instagram. Um, and their tip is numbered bill. Oh, you know, I'm not going to be able to read this because I don't understand yeah, the all right. point to it. That's Do you want to take this one, Jeff? Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, he says you use numbered drill bits, and and a number thirty bit is basically an eighth. Um, it's just a little higher than an eighth, giving you an eighth of a pin, just enough room for easy assembly, no noticeable gaps um, to the bare eye. Also, use cobalt. Uh, bits. Uh, I went when I, I I left when I left one shop and went to another shop. We went to uh, it was more of an installing shop. And when they, I was so used to you know uh, fraction fractional uh, drill bits, I was not used to number drill bits. So you know you you right. get to the point where you remember what this is for this kind of tap and this. Mm. And when you go into number drill bits, you throw it all out the window because it's it is they are different sizes. So a number thirty is a hair over an eighth which gives you that whole situation. The problem is is when you're buying number drill bits, sometimes they can be hard to kind of find an out. Some places have number drill bits. Some places don't have number drill bits. Go ahead. Whatever works for you. I, I, I'm a fan of getting an eighth-inch drill bit for an eighth-inch pin, 
and then making my pin a, a hair smaller, but that's a good option too. It's, you know, we're gonna talk millimeters, we're gonna talk uh, numbers, and we're gonna talk about fractions. It's, whatever works for you, it's a good point. Good job, Dominic. The world is broken. Another example of a broken world. I tell you what, I tell you what, when I went to this, the first day in the shop, they said, we're going to tap some, you know, whatever, 832 uh, for 832 screws. And he goes, go get a number or whatever. And I was like, a number? What? What? What's a number? 27? 25? What are you talking about? It was a total brain buster. And I was just like, that's what installers use. That's what these guys out in the field, when they're putting together these, uh, you know, sheet metal jobs and stuff like that, they use the numbered bits. Makes their lives a lot easier. I, it was a, it's a tough one for me. Mm. Blah, blah, blah. We've got a good one from MK Knives. Um, I like this a lot. We use a wet saw with a good blade for cutting G10. So he's been using a cheap Harbor Freight tile saw with a diamond-coated blade to cut down slabs of G10. And the water will keep that dust down, you know, that horrible, nasty stuff that gets everywhere. Mm. I've heard that, nice tip. I've heard nice the tip. tile saws are perfect for um, G10. I, I want to get one. I, I'm still using a, the bandsaw. I just bring, my, I, I bring mm. my table saw outside, and I cut all, all my uh, scales at the same time. So, but uh, I would think that uh, – uh, or prep scales at the same time um, – I, I, I've heard about the tile saw being good, and I bet that water keeps everything down. That's a great one. Hmm. And yeah, the cheap I've never too. heard that. That's a good. Yeah, no, no, it's great. I, I mean, that's that's your that's your thing, and it apparently doesn't like heat it up too much. And no, that's a that's sure. dynamite. Dynamite. Nice. All right, this next one is from Summit and C Smithing. Last week, you talked about tapering pins for an easier guided fit. In addition, I also give them a slight bend so they're spring fit. My mentor Dan Graves. Taught me that. Right. Interesting. Nice. So you s- gently bend it so that there's some tension in the hole. Uh, I was always under the impression that the whole pin, the whole pin system. Who's <laughs> laughing back there? I was always impressed. I always thought that the pin system was like it just locks it into place because you have a series of pins. I didn't think that you'd get. Oh, you know, look. If it, if a little bit of work, it works. You know. A little bit of work, it works. All right, so uh, you want to take this last one, Craigie? Yeah, sure. So Christian Seasoft um, on uh, Instagram. When forging, uh, forging scale, which he says is an iron oxide, is super hard and will wear your belts or your file down in no time. So if you want to have time, soak the forged piece in vinegar overnight and the scale will just rub right off. So especially great if you want to leave a, like a forged finish on a blade. Super basic, but a game changer when he first learned the trick. And he also yeah. says thanks for a great podcast. Thank you. One one move that yeah. uh, one move that uh, I've adopted from uh, a lot of the blacksmiths they like to if you see them they like the hand the real big uh, steel brushes. If you pull something out when it's hot and you hit it with the right angle grinder community cup, a hot if you take the uh, if you take a cup out a wire a wire brush cup and hit the steel while it's still hot, the scale pops off and it gives you an awesome finish. That's what I do. But I also know about the, the – Damascus Dave told me about the vinegar. Yeah. Nice. I, I've heard a lot of people refer to it as pickling. Ooh. Pickling the steel. I like that. Because Ooh. they're using the vinegar. But, yeah. Ah. I, I heard of pickling steel. I didn't know what it was, but that makes complete sense. It just removes that top layer of scale. Nice. Very nice. Well, with that said, when you're talking about getting rid of scale – and talking about preparing your materials, we got to talk about our sponsor, Combat Abrasives. If you go to combatabrasives.com, 
Is that right? Palmbatabrasive.com. Is that right, Craig? That's the All one. Right? That's the one. It's 10% off your orders if you use the promo code KNIFETALK10. Get your belts, your discs, your epoxy stabilized woods. We've been having really great feedback from our listeners who have been using Knife Talk 10 at Combat Abrasives. They've been posting it on their stories. We've been getting, we've been, I think we've been moving a lot of belts, to be honest with you. It's been a great experience. They, they're great guys. The customer service is very good. And they've been doing a great job. I just got to pile those, you're right, those 36 shredder belts are awesome. I'm, I'm kind of surprised at how uh, really well they're holding up. I just ground down some, uh, some stainless <laughs> steel and the 36, uh, the 36 shredder belts are awesome. So go to Combat Abrasives and uh, get your 10% off with the promo code KNIFETALK10. And, you know, if you po- post it. Post it on your, uh, on your stories. Tag them. Tag us. Everyone's happy. And get, your, get yourself some grinding stuff. Huh? Nice. Nice. And That's talking it. about those, those shredders, those 36 grit, they, they last for a long, long Certainly time. Do. But if you get one of those cleaning sticks as well, it's like, it's like a wax stick, and it'll take off any of the sort of dead abrasive. It gives your belts that much life. You know, I know some people say, oh, you know, you're going to heat up the steel too much by doing that. But they also do like a grease as well to keep the heat down. So, yeah, look at sort of treating your belts as well if you're just using them, you know, for your, for your rough profile and that kind of thing. Um, you know, especially the thicker gauge belts. Uh, it works really well. Dynamo. Yeah, those grease sticks are really interesting because sometimes, depending on what you're grinding on, sometimes the abrasive will load up in this face of the stuff. But what that grease st- stick does is it kind of takes up those spaces in between the abrasive so that mm. shit doesn't load up into that. But it's the grease, and so it easily is goes away if you know it needs uh, the abrasive needs to continue breaking down so it helps uh, reduce friction it helps keep the belt from getting loaded up and helps keep that belt grinding as sharp as it possibly can we used to use grief yeah. sticks when we were doing a lot of in the one shop we were doing a lot of aluminum fabrication we were constantly using grease sticks for the circular saw anytime we were using aluminum mm. everything got the grease stick and it really it was interesting how it uh it helped uh, cutting and grinding Aluminum. So yeah. do yourself a favor, combatabrasives.com and use knife talk knife talk10, sorry, all in caps, and get your 10% off all your orders. Craig's community showcase. This is the part of the show where we give some love to uh, people in our community, those who inspire us, uh, those who are doing great work, and we just want to help get some extra love to them. Uh, so this week. Uh, Craig's going to be kicking it off again. Craig, who do you got, bud? Mine is Knives by Lars. Um, mm. Knives by Lars, L-A-R-S, on Instagram. Um, his name is just literally Lars K on Instagram. But um, he does really, really nice. He's based in Sweden, um, so he's got access to some, you know, some amazing steels there, obviously. Um, but he does these amazing kitchen knives. They generally have sort of war-style handles on them. Um, it's not the kind of style that I make, so I really appreciate what he's doing. And they're, they're beautiful, beautiful knives. Um, so go and take a look at Knives by Lars. Um, and a big shout-out to to his phot- photography as well, because it's, he really, he's really sort of features the blade really well. Um, none of this... Um, you know, 
process of making. It's all just, you know, just showing the blade. It, it looks really good. So Knives by Lars on Instagram. Any hand picks? Does he do hand picks? I'm just looking through now, and there's three. There's <laughs> three right, hand right, picks in the last right. 12. <laughs> all right, well, I can, we can handle that. Uh, let's not, you know, that shouldn't be a demerit. That shouldn't be a demerit on the, on the, on the whole situation. Well, I would like to highlight a friend of ours who is who is very inspiring. Um, his name is Charles Lionheart. That's Charlie Ellis. He listens to the podcast. I know you listen to the podcast. He sends me a little message every so often. And part of it is because this week I was doing these friction folders. Um, friction folders are folding knives, but there's no, um, there's no mechanism really. It's just really a kind of – the knife is on a hinge. And then the, um, this particular style, this blacksmith style – uh, I've seen done by um, Nick uh, Rossi. Uh, there's some other Japanese uh, knife makers who I've seen make them. They're very simple, and there's no locking mechanisms. And Charlie makes them, and he makes some of the best. And he he was the one who told me that they're referred to in J- Japanese as Higo no Kamis. And they're, the handles the <laughs> handles weld uh, the handles forged, and he makes some of the best. Friction folders. Actually, the, when I first yes. met him a couple years ago, actually, same year I met you, Mareko, is he was walking around Blade Show with this, <laughs> like a, it was a sword, but I didn't realize. Oh, his Higo that this, sword. Yes, his Higo sword. It was a giant friction folder Higo no Kami sword, and he popped it out, and he, it was like, it was um, incredible. He's an incredible not bladesmith. He, I know he does a lot of stuff with the, he's a, he does stuff with uh, Jason Knight all the time. So if he's hanging out with Jason Knight, you know the guy's legit. Um, he's he makes beautiful stuff. He's an awesome blacksmith, awesome bladesmith, super inspiring, um, terrific guy. Yeah, go follow uh, Charles Lionheart. I like Charlie a lot. Charlie, good guy. Yeah, yeah. He, I, when I met him that same year, that was actually the first year I met Charles as well, and. Uh, yeah, I'd been following his work for a long time. And he just he does such a nice job of making a simple thing look elegant. Um and they do all the he does these textures on the you know the folder body of, of the handle portion essentially of the folder. Uh and uh and, and he also does these integral uh like pocket clips on them as yeah, well. Yeah, that's right. Right. Super I was talking cool. about, I was talking to him about that uh when I made mine and I, I'm like I'm going to have to I'm gonna have to work on that. That's gonna be. I, I'm it's thinking smooth, about that all day. Yeah, I don't know. It's a smooth, smooth move. He's a he's a yeah. fucking good dude. He makes awesome knives. Yeah, and he's just he's so creative. Charles Lionheart, creative. go follow Charles Lionheart. Give him some love. <laughs> Alright, this week I want to give some love to my man Luis Pina. He's a custom knife maker who's originally from, I believe he's from San Antonio, Texas, that moved up to the Washington area. Um, and I'm so I've talked about getting ready to move back, and I'm gonna be joining forces with Mr. Luis Pina. Oh. Uh, at his giant, he's got a great setup. He's a really nice guy, super talented, and uh, I really look forward to working with him. He also specializes in chef's knife. He actually chef's knives. He comes from a, a background, a culinary background. Actually, he was like, he's like one of these guys on a level that potentially would be getting, you know, James Beard awards. Uh, but he then developed a bunch of kind of like. Uh, food allergies and he had to kind of get out of it and uh, knife making was where he pivoted to and it kind of gave him a, a second lease on finding lease on finding you know his passion and he loves knife making he still does all the cooking um, but uh, yeah he just does a really 
he does really good work. He does a lot of exploration and collaborating with other knife makers as well, um, and experimenting with stuff. He actually, I think he's got a hunter up on his on his uh, on his Instagram right now. But if you go on Instagram, uh, he's c dot l u i s p i n a knives uh we're gonna link all these people up but uh yeah you gotta check him out he's a great guy super talented maker and uh i look forward to spending a lot more time with him in the next few months so is he gonna be part of the legion of doom yeah oh man the legion of doom is really starting to come together Oh, Him, yeah. Jay Spake. <laughs> you talking, Jay Spake? Jay Spake's in the Legion of Doom too. Oh, oh my of course. god! Oh my god! These guys are gonna gonna take over the. We, we got the, others. We got other members too. We, oh. we can talk about that another time. Oh <laughs> yeah, don't, that's the best. You have to keep. You have to every week. You have to add a new member of the Legion of Doom <laughs> to really bring this whole. You know, this is like the Justice League. You gotta slowly, slowly introducing. Them. That's right. Slowly <laughs> introduce. This is a high level group so far. High Love level it. group. Fly into the DMs. Sliding into the DMs. So we had a, a one from last week from Morocco, who somebody mm. rudely interrupted his DMs. Um, and I've had one this week, and I'm pretty sure I'm not the only person to have received this. This scumbag. So let me let me <laughs> set the scene. Let me set the scene. So. So there I am. I'm I'm sitting there with my my with my twins, one in each arm, and I'm feeding. But I'm feeding like Superman here, you know. I'm feeding them both. You know, everything's going well, and I get this ding on my phone. Oh, let's have a look. Good morning. Had a quick question for you and the team. Um, I work at the in Orlando, Florida, at a restaurant named. So I'm like, Ooh, oh, you're going names. Huh? Heard of those guys, you know? And it says we're a fine dining steakhouse. I'm like, oh, well, I make steak knives. Ooh. We've been named one of the top 100 restaurants. It goes on and on and on. And this, this is about three DMs now. So he's obviously just pasted these in because they're, they're huge, each of these DMs. Um, so I simply, I, you know, I get the feeling that this isn't, this isn't right. It's full of spelling mistakes. And then it goes on about, you know, we have special partnerships with makers. And I'm just like, all oh, right, what, what's this guy after? So I simply replied, to be clear, are you looking to purchase knives? Now, I'm not normally this rude, but, you know, I just thought, let's just get this out of the way. He says yes. So I'm like, great. I said, my steak knives are available through the website. You know, if you're going to order more than a dozen or so, get in touch and we can arrange some sort of special pricing and make them a bit more bespoke, that kind of thing. His response is, we're looking to order 300. Uh, we, we take care of 50,000 guests per week. And I'm like, what? 50,000 guests per week? So he then responds that they're part of the Disney group and all that kind of thing. Um, so I say, for that sort of volume, it's best to work backwards from a budget. So let's get a budget established of how much you want to pay per knife, and then I can come up with a design that you know falls within those parameters. Otherwise, we'd just, we'd just be crapshooting all night. Perfect, he says. So then this goes on. And at the same time, I'm sending screenshots of these to to Jeff and Morocco because I'm like, this guy is after something. This isn't real. This, yeah. this guy is fake. Um, so I leave it, and I said, well, you know, Send me a budget, email it to me. This is all via DMs as well. This hasn't even been an email. So I said, email your budget and a rough spec, and I can see what, can, what we could do, what could be possible. So nothing happens then for about an hour. Then I get another one, and I, I was waiting for this, waiting for this message. Is there any chance you could send over a sample for free so we can take a look? And this is the address, and it's this oh guy's God. home address. And I'm just like, you, you... 
it's just a complete scam, a complete scam. So he, he then goes on to say that, you know, he, he's asking other makers this as well, the same questions, because, you know, he wants pricing back from a few makers. This guy is just after a free knife for himself. And I'm sure he's contacted many other knife makers. So I wouldn't normally want to name people, but, you know, go fuck yourself. Oh, Ooh, yeah. Wow. There you go. That's, that's, that's strong. That's yeah. strong. And I think, by well, the way, it was an inside job. This is not, this is not a, he didn't scattershot this one. This was an inside job uh, by. Have our, I been targeted, do you think? You've been, yeah, this is an inside job. Our, our boy, our boy, Jared, said, I think he got the same one. And then he says, and he said, I don't know, man. I bet my buddy Craig might be able to help you. And then he, he, uh, he, steered, he steered this motherfucker <laughs> to you. But I will say that he, I, he might, I've also might have gotten something from a, a restaurant company who said the same thing. So. Uh, restaurant mm. company was looking to us for the same kind of the same information uh, as a broker, and I was just like, eh, who knows? This guy could be. You might want to bleep this dude's name. This could be legit. Who knows? Ugh, who knows? Uh, Jared, if you're listening, right? <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> go don't fondle know. yourself. Oh, <laughs> Jared, inside job. Oh, oh, and then with that said, we did have a, we did have, a, I did get sent a very good uh, sliding into your DMs from our boy Mert Tansu, Tansu Knives. He is a bad motherfucker down in uh, Australia. He's a great guy. He sent this to me, a screenshot, and he said, somebody wrote, "Hey, do you need an influencer for your cool stuff? Then I'm ready." <laughs> So Mert, Mert's, Mert's the best. So Mert I'm responded, ready. I'm ready. This guy ended with emojis and shit. And Mert is like, you know, he doesn't take any shit. So Mert writes back. He goes, cool. I have four knives available for sale ranging for 500 to 1500 US dollars. You can buy one and influence people. So he's like, so he, wants to, he says, all right, go ahead. You can influence, pay for it, and then influence the hell out of people. Love Mert. He's Mert. ready. Shout out to Mert, oh baby. God. Yeah, the guy's ready. These people are crazy. You know, look, here's what here's what it comes down to. They're 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 throwing a big net in the water and seeing what fish can catch. Right. That's it. It's, it's well, well, and I, it's it's concerns me that you know some make some maker out there who's you know trying to make it and uh, you tr- you know they're trying to get any traction they can and that could potentially be good for people. But you know if it's a big company like if it really was or whatever. Guess what? They can afford to buy one of your knives to see if that's what they want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because that's part of their marketing budget. Like they can they can put it down somewhere. They can fit it into their budget. And that's the other thing. If a company if a company if a if a big company is doing all of their information through DMs, you have to have a question. If they're not willing to send you an email, yeah. you're usually, <laughs> and if they're not sending an email, then this has nothing to do with them. This account yeah. was from um, a guy. It wasn't from their official Instagram account. It's from some guy. His account is locked down, so you can't, you know, look him up in any way. You know, I've Googled mm-hmm. his name, and there's no, no reference to him working for this big, you know. If, if he's a big right. purchasing guy, there's going to be a reference somewhere. There's, there's just nothing. Yeah. So this guy's just complete and utter scammer. Well, nothing, mm-hmm. not, to, not to mention, 300 knives are, are, not, are, you're going to have to be washing those knives every five minutes for 500,000 what did he say? Five hundred thousand yeah. guests. Fifty thousand uh, guests a week. Fifty thousand guests a week, man. Come on, man. Hey, man. Can I ask you a question? <laughs> this is the the familiar the familiar section that people like. Hey, man. Can I ask you a question? So we've asked people to ask us questions. We'll do our best to answer. 
And if we don't know the right answer, one of our listeners will, and we'll get back to us. So let's start off with the first, um, with Drek Metals. Do you want to take that one, Jeff? And can I just say, by, by the way, I happen to make mistakes. I say things wrong. I, I, don't, I resent being called an expert, to be honest with you. And sometimes I'll get things wrong which I, I admit to. Like last week, I said CO2 instead of carbon monoxide. I get it. I get it. So when we, when we say things, <laughs> we say things, we say them, okay? I'm not, I, I should have known better. I didn't know better. But do me a favor. When you send an email or a message saying, hey, man, I love the podcast, but before you tell them the but, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to type, hey, man, I love the podcast. I love the free content. I love the discounts we give you. You give us. I love all that. And then when you finish all that and you have a but, really reconsider whether it's worth sending it to me or not. But with that said, I'm with you. All right. So the first one comes from (laughs) I get things wrong. I'm planning on getting things wrong. I'm almost going to go out of my way to get things wrong. Carbon monoxide, fly presses, I got it. We got, we, that's the list. I, I'm creating the list of all the things I get wrong, which I admit to. I get these things wrong. It's fine. It's, there's no, we live our lives. Live our lives. All right. This one comes from Drek Metals. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? I sold a knife last year to a local restaurant owner, and he leaves it at his restaurant, and everyone that works there uses it. Big surprise. Some ding-dong dropped it and chipped it. Now I'm being asked to fix it. Question. Do I take the time and money and fix it, or do I say tough titties? I didn't make that up. Mm. He said tough titties. Yeah. Tough titties. Uh, <laughs> I say, you know, I, I say at that point, that is not on the maker to fix that for free. That is definitely abuse of the of the knife. Yeah. Um, especially going to leave a handmade thing laying around for all your ding-dong employees to work with. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, I have no problem fixing things, but... At that point, I'd have to say that's going to cost. I have to charge you my time to do that work. Uh, I can't necessarily do that just for free. Stop everything I'm doing to do anything for free. And yeah. I don't think that's what he's saying. But I think a lot of people would say, "Oh shit, am I responsible for fixing that for free?" And it's no, 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 no wear and tear. But it's also based on the relationship you have. I mean, if the guy's also buying ten knives a year and he wants, to, you know, that happens once in a while. It's, uh, really, yeah. it's a nice little thing. Yeah, for but sure. I, I, I'm with oh, you. I'm 100% with you, Mareko. It's like, you know, uh, look, you say to the guy, look, yeah, look, I got to charge you. I can't, I can't take the, all this time to fix this chip out if you're going to fool around. So mm. we're in, I think we're in tough titty town, right? Yep. Yep. I think you covered it. I think that's yeah. basically it. Yeah. Tough titties. All right. This next one's from DKS Knives. It says, how do you prevent warping when quenching in oil do you have any pointers for keeping the blade straight i do all my grinding after heat treating also Hmm. i would my first question would be is he hardening at full thickness does he do any primary grinding uh if you're doing primary grinding before which is removing some of the material before uh heat treating the blade the, the the biggest thing that leads to warpage especially with primary grinding blades before quenching in oil or whatever medium is that uh our dimensional like the actual cross section of the blade dimensional right. inconsistencies from side to side and it ha- if it happens to be a little bulkier on one side or you know you didn't get it perfectly flat on the other or whatever that's going to that's going to translate to some wibbles and wobbles down the way um but yeah 
That would Ooh, that yeah. would be one of my first questions for him. That's the I thing just, with the heating and the cooling down. It's 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 very mm-hmm. similar when you're welding. When you're here's for you, Craig. When you're welding, when you when you heat, when you're welding, the weld is hot, and when it's hot, and as it cool down, it contracts. It's the same thing. What Mareko was saying. So if one side has more mass on it, it's going to uh, cool down slower than the thinner side. So you're going to get a warp to the thinner side if you've taken more material off one side. Hmm. Right. Yeah. And I think a lot of it as well is, you know, if you're anything like me, I mean, I don't do any of my grinding until after heat treat also, you know, because of warping. Um, But, you know, if if you're anything like me, you're probably using some old, some old worn out 50 grit belt to do your profile in, you know, your rough shaping, Um, you know, and that's, that's going to stress the steel with, you know, with the heat built up, you know, how the steel comes to you, whether it's been milled or whatever, that's going to put some stresses on the steel. You know, it doesn't yeah. grow on trees in this perfect bars, you know. It's been, it's been treated in some way. So, you know, just normalize. Normalize That's, before you heat treat. Normalizing yeah. is such a great way to take out all your problems because yeah. every time yeah. you take out from the normalizer, you have two pairs of tongs, and then you're straightening as it goes. And then by the time you finish your third normalizing cycle and you're heat treating, you, ca- you, you get less warp. The other thing is is you don't, have to, you don't have to keep your steel when you're quenching in the oil. You don't have to keep it in the oil for 15 minutes. You know, mm-hmm. you have a certain amount of time before the austenite converts to martensite, and you can put it in the oil for whatever, counts of 20 seconds or whatever, and it's st- when yeah. you pull it out, it's still warm enough that you can fix a problem before it's ice cold while the austenite is still converting into martensite. I, I learned that from Kevin Cashin. He was, he, no. I guess he, in one of his videos, he was, uh, he quenched for like 15 seconds, pulled it out, it was still smoking, it was not on fire, and then he was straightening, right. he was straightening it within that meantime, and then he got it back in the oil once he got it straight. Hmm. But since making that decision to only grind after heat treat, I, I don't have a single warp blade anymore. So nice. even if I'm, you know, generating a lot of heat by doing the profile and so on, it's still completely flat because, you know, it hasn't been quenched or anything like that at all. So if I then do a normalizing cycle, it's, it's going into the normalization completely flat, comes out completely right. flat. And then when I do the heat treat and quench, it, again, it comes out completely flat. So but it does have that memory. That's the thing. The normalizing takes away some of that memory that the steel has. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but what I'm saying, if it's if it's completely flat before it goes in for normalizing, the normalizing almost will do almost like a reset, if you like. Um, I, I I've never had it, since since making that decision to only grind after heat treat. I've I've never had a warp blade. Nice. All right. This this next one might be directed towards me, but um, Austin Fraser says, "Why is it that when you fill out a knife request form, you never hear anything back?" I'm I'm I I'm assuming I don't know. Sometimes sometimes look with the custom guys we have a very limited amount of time. We don't have a big pile of employees. So when I get email, I'm I'm assuming and I could be completely wrong. And I've had this before and it's actually kind of funny because sometimes you know we have these request forms and you fill them out. People are so used to instant responses that they don't understand that it's like people, you know, there's a human being has to sort through and, and people asking questions and getting back. And sometimes I'll get messages. Uh, I'll get somebody will slide into my DMs. And I'm not talking about Austin. I'm talking about other people in the past have slid into my DMs saying, I filled your reform out and I want to buy one of your knives. How come, how come you're not responding to my request forms? And I'll say, all right, well, we'll see what we can do. I'll shoot a message back to Tony saying, hey, this guy's kind of really – 
And what will happen is back and forth. I've had a couple guys saying, I've out sent it three times. I want to buy your knife. I'm trying to buy your knife. And then we send the guy an invoice. And then all of a sudden it's crickets. You know, sometimes these guys, mm-hmm. they, they, you know, so, so it's like, I think that there is like this, um, you do have to kind of like manage the expectations of these people that were custom knife people. Some of us have part-time jobs. Some of us don't have employees. Some of us, you know, we're just trying to make it happen and we're doing it within the time frame that we're doing. And you, so the answer to that is that just, just calm down. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta yeah, do, do everything you can. I've definitely been guilty of that because, you know, we have kind of the same thing on our website. And, you know, it's basically just me going through emails and building stuff at the same time. And especially since I've closed my books, uh, I, I still get emails in uh, people asking, you know, if I have a website, where, how do I order a knife? Or I know that your books are closed, but how do I order? How right. can I still get on a list? Right. And I'm like, the, those ones, I get to them eventually, but they're not necessarily the highest priority versus uh you know my my regular customers that i'm working with currently um because because i have put it up around that you know i'm not taking orders right now but i i have like a script that i have that i turn around and send out to those people and let them know you know not taking orders but you can sign up the email list or blah 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 but yeah it's i guess keeping in mind that yeah we're we don't have a full staff sitting around waiting to answer reply to your email within 10 seconds of it you know right. reaching us yeah and so the people who do slide into dms are always the ones who never they never buy the ones who are really impatient the ones who are really impatient i told you, blah, 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 they you send them a you send them an invoice and it's like you, they're gone totally gone yeah every time <laughs> okay we got one from foam syringe again on instagram Hey, man, can I ask you a question? How do I glue different materials together to make handles and scales properly? you got to rough everything think, up so there's something that the glue can bite to, and then you rough glue it. Yeah, yeah. And, and then if it. you're making angles, make sure the angles are perfect each time yeah. using some sort of jig. It's, take, yeah. You take your time, <laughs> well, I, then you rough it up, I think and then you glue it together. Boom. Probably because, well, the question is like probably more like what kind of glue. Um, oh, okay. But, but, yeah, those composite handles... Uh, like our man uh, Greg Sims, he does really cool comp- composite handles. But I, from what I understand, I think he's just using epoxy. He's using a slower setting epoxy, but you use a good epoxy, and like Jeff said, you got some texture on there. I wouldn't go any finer than 220. 220 might even be too fine. Um, but you you need something for that stuff to bond to, and hmm. yeah, it, sh- it should suck together and hold together pretty nicely. Especially G10, you, you, it has a, usually when you get those sheets, it has a very uh, shiny surface and nothing sticks to that. So you have to kind of like take off that layer. But I just try to, I just scuff it up just so there's some tooth and then that's it. Yeah. Boom. And if yeah. when, you, when you're clamping things together, you don't want to clamp it so you squeeze everything out. But let's say you're putting wood onto like a G10 liner. Make sure you have a hard backing that you're not just clamping the, the liner to the wood. Um, so I just got myself a bunch of like Ikea plastic chopping boards. I think yeah. it's like HDPE or whatever that, that plastic is. Cut yeah. that up. And what you'll find then is that the once you've finished and you take your clamps off, it'll just peel straight off that. I know some people use like a greaseproof paper as well. Uh, but make sure you have a hard back in. You're not just clamping the material onto the wood because then you're going to have these sort of high spots, low spots. You know, Le- Legion right. of Doom member Jay Spake, Jeremy Spake uses he oh, uses yeah. a high level silpat mats, those baking mats. Yeah, mm. I see him using those baking mats. That's a, that's a high level French technique <laughs> right there. 
Legion of Doom, <laughs> bring it to you. Sponsored by Silpat. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, this next one's from Winkle Built Custom Knives. He said, I'm taking what feels like uh feels to be the hard road, but ultimately the great greater skill development path of grinding without a jig or tool rest. I'm finding myself having to hand sand my blades to refine my grind lines. Am I doing myself a disservice by not making myself get those grind lines absolutely perfect off the grinder? Uh I don't know, what do you guys think? I it sounds to me like this is a little bit like Am I, should I, do I need, do I, am I, do I have to use a tool rest or, or do I, is, do I have to use a, uh, do it by hand? And I always just say like, you know, this is the question of jigs and how do you get yourself most efficient? And I, I, I tend to say like, if a jig works for you, a tool rest works for you, go with it. There's no, there's no medals. There's no, no one's giving you a statue just because you, <laughs> you know, no one's making a monument to you if you, if you, for hand sanding. Free whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta do whatever it takes to be as efficient as possible. Whatever yeah. it takes, yeah. I yeah, use a jig. I use a jig every day, and when I'm not using a jig, I'll still have the tool rest on just to just to rest my arms on. Um, and in fact, I've been I've been working on a new jig this week. So uh, I, I use a, a a jig for my bevels on the smaller knives, such as the steak knives, that kind of thing. Um, but, but it's always difficult if I'm also using a file guide, one of the Bill Benke file guides. Right. So I've adapted my jig so I can actually use the file guide as well. Um, mm. Literally just by putting on a, a piece of wood with a slot out of it um, so that the file guide will slot in into the middle of the jig. So then you still have your hard back in for your perfect angle with the jig and you can still use a file guide. But, you know, there, mm. there's, I don't think there's any shame at all in using any sort of jig or tool rest. Do whatever you need to do. Nobody cares. Yeah, no. It's like, it's, nobody nah. cares. That's yeah. the thing with artists too. Artists always, you know, you, that's the whole thing with sculpture and painting. It's like, how long should it take me to do? And it doesn't really matter. It's like, it's the right. final outcome. It's, it's however you're getting it done. That's what matters more. Well, and it, also when you're talking about j- jigs versus freehand, like who are you actually appealing to? Are you, are you looking for social credit or currency amongst other knife makers? Because I'm, I'm going to tell you, your, your, fi- your customer doesn't care. Yeah, they what they care do. about is the end product. Yeah, they don't even need to know. They don't even. They so, don't know. They don't even care. Don't even care. I, oh, I will say, I, I feel like what he's also trying to ask, you know, is you know, is he leaving the grinder too early to go and then start hand sanding because possibly just lack of skill uh, on the grinder? And I would say one, one of the things that I've experienced in the past is. Um, when grinding it before going to hand sanding is trying to push my belts too far and essentially trying to get too much work out of a belt. Like there's at a point, a belt's just not grinding anymore and you need to put a fresh belt on. And so if you, if you go from your 36, you know, don't jump all the way to a 220. Like, you know, have at least a step in there, mm-hmm. go to 60 or maybe go to 60 and 120 before 220. I used to think it, it was a huge waste of money and a huge waste of time to keep changing all these belts out but i found that the more incremental steps i have between 36 grit and 600 grit the easier it is i'm spending less and less time in between grits because i'm getting that the amount of work i need from each of the different grits for what i need to get this previous scratches out instead of trying to like i said jump from 36 to like a 220 you're gonna you're asking that 220 to do more work than it's really designed to do and so i would say you know maybe throw in a couple more belts or work just get a fresh belt and Mm. to do your grinding with nothing nothing beats a fresh belt for you know a tidy grind line 
Get yourself a Scotch Brite. But get yourself a Scotch Brite belt. Live a little. Get yourself a Scotch Brite. Well, and you know who sells those? Who? <laughs> Combat. That's right. And you can Combat. save yourself ten yeah. percent. I just got two. I got two of them. They were pretty inexpensive. I was surprised. They're they're good. Right. Scotch Brite belts. Or get yourself do what I did, and I I know exactly what he's talking about. I got myself a disc grinder to to get me a you know to take the high spots hot, take the high spots off with the disc grinder, and then I'm 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 hand sanding a lot less because I'm using the disc grinder. So do you know who yeah. sells disc grinders? <laughs> I tell, don't know. Tell me. Tell me. AMK. All you right. get ten percent off using <laughs> AMK ten. Yeah, man, those are two those are two awkward slip-ins, but that's fine. <laughs> keep going. All right, this next one, I'm, I know that our boy Mareko is going to be able to answer this one perfectly. This one comes from Odin Sun Steel. When making a saya, do you carve out the space for the knife? I was having issues with this, and I built it in a three-piece construction. Any v- advice would be great. Thanks. How do you make your sayas? Yeah, so the three-piece construction is a perfectly valid way of making a saya. Um, the way I normally make a saya is I have to start with thicker material, uh, something that's at least half an inch, but ideally maybe more like uh, uh, five-eighths or three-quarters of an inch. Uh, that way I can split off one side that's about a quarter-inch thick and set that aside, and then I take a, a router and uh, you know I trace out the shape of the blade. I'm sorry, can I interrupt you for thick- a second? I have a question. How do you cut yeah. it? How do you cut it perfectly? A big piece like that. I don't cut it perfectly. I just use the bandsaw I have. <laughs> oh, okay. it's not perfect. Oh but, yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> okay, good answer. Hey, good cl- answer. That's what I wanted. Yeah, I, I'm, I unfortunately am not a woodworking shop where a woodworking shop has all the perfect materials for splitting that down. Uh, if you got that or know somebody who does have that material or those tools, though, those are a good resource and good friends to keep close. But it's good uh, that you're using a bandsaw because you're using you're you're cutting with a thinner your belt your your saw is much thinner than if you were using a circular saw. Oh, for sure. You know, I've built I've used my porter band to cut split off the material for for uh, the saya. But anyways, once I, after I have one side split off, I then go and trace out the shape of the knife on the thicker side and then route out a pocket. And I found that I have to take it at like 16th of an inch thick uh, deep bites uh, every time. You can't, at least with the routers and the and the, the cutting bits that I have, you can't take the full depth all at once. So you got to take it a little bit at a time. So there's multiple rounds. So you carve out that pocket and then you kind of and then you uh, you can sand the material down along the cutting edge so it has more of kind of like a, a fit that replicates the cross-sectional dimension of the knife. And you glue it together with some epoxy. You make sure everything's nice and flat and clean. All the joints are really good. And uh, good to go. I, I have some... I have some posts on my Instagram from a couple of years back of me kind of doing a walkthrough uh, of building a side. Maybe I should try to put those together put those together in a meaningful way. But yeah, there are a lot of different ways to approach the side. I think the three pieces actually if you if you got some nice material to make it happen, pff, do a three piece all day because that's gonna that's gonna make it way easier for you to do um, than doing the whole system that I was just talking about. But anyways, yeah. Yeah, you could get that looking quite cool with some contrasting middle piece as well in color. Could, oh, could for sure. Really nice. Yeah, I would Absolutely. think it'd probably be easier without because when you're cutting it, you're, you're you don't have to worry about it being so flat. Like if you're cutting with a bandsaw, it's already getting it close to fitting up. You know, so yeah. I love it. I, I dude, I love what I love. I love your size. Your size are awesome. Really awesome. Thanks, man. 
You're welcome, we've, buddy. All right. <laughs> we've got another one from CM Knives. Um, hey, man, can I ask you a question? How do you guys protect your knife blade um, when you're shaping the handle? I've wrapped mine mm. in painter's tape, but it seems to leave some odd residue on the blade. It's not sure if it's rust or glue or something else. So I think we, we covered that one a bit earlier, really. I, um, I do do something different than you guys do. I use paper towel and electric tape. Because oh, paper, mm. paper towel and electric tape is good because electric tape is way cheaper than all of it. And you're, when you wrap it in your knife in paper towel, if it's carbon steel, I throw a little slick of uh, mineral oil on it just so because mm. I have had t- times where I leave it in the paper towel and, and they start to patina. If I don't pay attention, after if I've left it in the thing too long, it gets so – so I put a little bit of um, – Mineral oil on it, wrap it in paper towel, and then I wrap the whole thing in, in electric tape. And that kind of gives me a little bit more of a buffer. Like it's, it's almost like a thicker pad, and it's a little easier for me to handle. So I always yeah. use electric tape and paper towel. That's hilarious. So what's interesting about the way I make my knives is I basically do it all bass backwards to how everybody else does and the blade is actually the last thing i finish so i do the handle shaping first i you know i do my finish grinding but i don't do any hand sanding or anything while i'm shaping up the handle so i'm not necessarily i don't wrap it up or anything i'm not concerned about it except for potentially catching the blade you know the belt wrong and cutting my hand off but anyways uh once i have the handle all shaped up and finished out that's when i wrap up the handle and keep that all you know protected and everything and then i finish out the blade and i don't because it's the last thing i do i don't have any weird residue or uh accidental kind of flash rusting happening on my blade because it's it's the last thing i do so um it's not spending any time wrapped up in a sleeping bag of paper towels and electrical tape uh doing its thing but that's it's just i i do everything so weird and it's i think it's just it's just me more than anything uh i've I've seen people do uh the blades first, and actually sometimes i have to do the blade first but i don't know for my approach blade is the last part and it's never a problem (laughs) so there yeah um i mean i mentioned mine earlier i'll make this little sort of oil up the blade make this almost like a condom of tape you can slide that off and on as you Jesus please. Right. Um, but you mentioned <laughs> you oh, mentioned an odd residue. Earmuffs, kids. Earmuffs, kids. Oh, <laughs> you mentioned this odd residue, but I mean, if you've got something, you know, maybe it's a bit of um, adhesive from the tape or whatever it may be, just acetone will just knock that straight off. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. There we go. We right. got. Uh, we got. Yeah, yeah. We got it. Okay, so we got another one from SLC Blades. Uh, I don't know. Is that Salt Lake City? Anyways, uh, he says, how challenging is it to transition from being a part-time maker to a full-time maker? How many years of experience did each of you have before deciding to make the leap? It's not, it's not, there's no calculation. It's, it's, Mm. if if you can make it happen, you can make it happen. There's a lot of guys who, um, you know, you, you have to have a kind of a business in, in place. It's not just, I'm good at making knives. Now let's just quit everything and just make knives. You got to have a business in place and you have to be, make sure that you understand where you're going and uh, trials and tribulations. And, and it's, it's, I don't think that, I think that it's a mistake to, I think it's a mistake to worry about one thing or the other. Hmm. There's yeah. no formula. There's no, no formula. No. Everybody's going to have different out, outgoings and, and you know, when you, you only mentioned being a, you know, a part-time maker or a full-time maker, 
um, I probably fall in in the gap of them. So you know, I'd li- I'd like to be making knives more, but at times I need to go back and do a bit of web stuff to bring to bring money in. You know, it's whatever it takes. And you know, mm. total respect for anybody who can do it full time and feed their family and put you know food on the table, that kind of stuff. But it's not easy. So you know, if if you're thinking you you know you have a job. And you're thinking, right, I'm just going to quit this and go full-time knife making. It's not going to be easy. So make sure you've got you've right. got the work, you've got the customers, and you can see that ramping up over time. Um, but just can't go cold turkey. It's and, just not going to work. And there are, things that you, there are things that you're not seeing. There are things that you're not seeing, the trials and tribulations of – Dealing with like accountants and dealing with the mm. uh, with this the government and taxes and and employee mm-hmm. insurance and what we've had to deal with when Carl was here, uh, all the stuff we had to deal with uh, employee insurance and you know there's a lot of things involved that you know it looks like it's all you know wonderful but sometimes it's it's difficult and, and we talked about people like Vanessa Vanessa Knives who's figured it out out last week where. Where she, you know, she is a commercial fisherman half the year, so that helps her afford to make knives for the rest of the year. There's a lot of people yeah. out there. I know Mike Quisenberry is a professional engineer. He's an engineer. You know, he's a, yeah, you he's know, a train engineer. Trained engineer, and he makes knives for to to full, you know, because he likes to. It, it's. Yeah. I think that there's this weird concept that there's a formula for when do I? You have to like, you have to get get it to the point where you feel like you can do it. But then there's a lot of stuff out there that's that's unforeseen. Hmm. unforeseen and you have to kind of deal with you know i'm very fortunate that my wife is uh you know she's a nurse practitioner and she makes a good living she's always you know been able to kind of like help with i mean i can't i can't pay for my all the expenses of my business and uh, the mortgage on my house and the stuff for my daughter and the car payments and everything with if she was not working i would be back in a welding shop period (laughs) you know it's, it's just it's one of those things it's like we've have a we have we've we, it's a partnership, and, and we have a goal in mind, and we're I'm willing to do whatever it takes to make this thing happen. And sometimes, you know, it's hard, and sometimes the results aren't fast enough. And how do you deal with these things? And does this mean I have to just quit everything? To, yeah. You know, it's you have to have like it's like a real some real world, you know, thinking about it. It's not it's not all red carpets and fucking money, you know. It's not all forging on ice and Epicurean videos. Yeah, I'm right. <laughs> um, if it was that, I'd be back in the welding shop too. <laughs> no, I, and I think you, you make a good point. One of the things I didn't uh, really take into consideration very well is all of the kind of uh, administrative business side of the of doing knives and going full time and all the taxes and all that stuff. Um, at the time when I went full time, I actually didn't go full time for probably six or eight months before I finally did quit my day job, which was working in a bakery. I was working in a bakery. I was a single guy at the time. Uh, so I didn't have really a lot of financial responsibilities. So there was a kind of like a, a slight equation for me to kind of do some backwards math as to, you know, how much money did I need to live? And so I just did that simple math, but of course I did not take into tax into consideration, all that stuff. Fortunately, uh, I built up strong demand pretty quick. Um, and, but yeah, it's just a lot of stuff to think through. And if I was, uh, you know, if I was doing it now, if I was trying to decide, am I going to go full-time knife maker now? Um, 
it, it, I'd have a lot more to con- take into consideration. Like you were just saying, Jeff, like the family, the car payments, the, the mortgage, paying for kids, uh, all kinds of insurances and stuff like that. Like, there's a lot to take into consideration. Um, there's a saying that I hear a lot from a lot of older knife makers, but it, it goes, uh, you know, behind every uh, successful knife maker is a woman with a real job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so, um, you know, and that having that partnership and having that person there that can help uh, help carry the burden, especially if you are experiencing some decent success. Like Jeff said, though, and like Jeff's like Jeff is very successful, I would say, in my experience of knife making. And but even he just said, you know, it'd be it'd be tough to carry everything all on him. Oh, it would own. be so impossible. It's, it's having that par- it it's having impossible. that partnership with somebody that could really make a difference. But again, that also is a reflection of where you're at in your life. And if you're a single person, you know it might not be. Uh, it's definitely not as complicated. But if you you got family and other people to take into consideration, uh, that can that can definitely be tricky. Now, with all that said, never be discouraged by what people say. You know, there's no. Oh, you know, sure. there's no. I'm not. You 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 said everything perfectly. I just think that a lot of times. You know, fortune favors the brave. You know, you got to take some sort of step. The most important thing is to kind of be as informed as possible in all the things you need to do to be in business. You know, I was old with an old welder. Well, elite guy used to say to me, he's like, you'll never make money. You'll never make real money if you're not in your own shop. But once you get your own shop, there's so many things that you don't realize. There's just so much that you have to take into consideration that you're not even thinking about. So it's very, it's very, you know, but at the same time, fortune favors the brave. Yeah. And it can be the most enjoyable job. It can be amazing. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's the lowest paid job I've ever had, but it's the most fun job and it makes me the happiest I've ever been. Yeah. Wait till you get that letter from the the New York state uh, uh, unemployment board saying, oh, you haven't paid your unemployment, we're, we're going to fine you $10,000. Get ready for that one. Get ready to see how good your asshole mm. is when you get that one. See, <laughs> see how good and how fast you can get to the bathroom when you read that, that one. It, it turns yeah. out that it was – and by the way, it turns out it was a mistake. A lot of these, a lot of these bureaucracies, they, they send these scattershot messages out thinking, you know, we're going to get some money. And we, mm. we, luckily for me, I had a business partner who was just like, ah, let me take care of it. And it, we, he had a talk. We, it was, they made a mistake. We got our, our accountants look into it and we made it and they made a mistake. But at the same time, you get a message saying you owe the state $10,000, you're going to have some heartburn. That's some agita. You know, these are real <laughs> legit things that you got to, you know, all of a sudden take care of. Okay. We've got one from, Gumbinier Custom Knives. I think that's how it's spelled. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? Is it possible to temper a blade too long? Um, he gives an example of you know trying to get a warp out use, um, you know, by shimming it in the temper, and you end up in the oven for six hours or more. Um, so is it possible to temper a blade too long? Um, you know, it, if you've got an even heat, it's not. Because you're gonna, you're gonna, that alarm's going to go off, and that's going to wake you, wake you out of a cold sleep. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I, 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 I tend to temper two or three times. Um, but you know, is is it going to harm the blade by leaving it in too long? I don't know. What do you guys think? I mean, it's going to make I, it I don't softer. Think so. I mean, it's going to make it a little softer, isn't it? I don't think so either. But I, I mean, I would think that over enough time, it's going to. No, well, the temperature's not ramping, is it? The temperature's stable, so I'd, I'd imagine once it yeah. gets to a certain amount, you'd be good to and, go. And after you've spent anywhere from three to six hours 
because um, people, some people do like multiple rounds of two hours each, uh, sometimes three times at 350 or 400 degrees. You know, that's six hours right there. But realistically, unless you're going higher in temperature, um, you, you're not going to experience much of a change, if any change at all. Uh, some people actually mistakenly think that if they go like eight temper cycles or something, they're going to be, um, they're, they're going to make the blade that much tougher and just everything's more thorough. But the, the reality is there, there's a level of diminishing returns where there's just basically after the third round, there's basically nothing happening. Um, so I would only be concerned if, uh, you're going higher in temperature than you had previously, but otherwise you should. You should you should be fine. Oh, very good, very good. Uh, okay, this one comes from Robinson Knives. This is something he's put up a couple times. What's the best way to anneal steel that's forged from scrap without a kiln? I haven't got it soft enough to drill. So, what drill bits would you recommend? How do you anneal steel? What can, I'm sorry, I missed the. Oh. What kind of steel was it that he's working with? Scrap. Robinson. Some bullshit. Just scrap stuff. Scrap um, steel. You know, I I would I would think a subcritical anneal. So that's bringing a steel up to about twelve fifty, uh, and holding it there for. Well, he doesn't have a kiln. 50. He doesn't have a kiln. Oh, he doesn't have a kiln. Yeah. Drill there. I mean, you just gotta. You gotta. Does he? Ha- but he has a forge. You can do it out of the forge. You just have to go. You can do it sub- to Let it cool slowly. That's the most important part. Is you want it to yeah, cool I'm- slowly with like in verm. I know a lot. I know the hammer guys use a lot of vermiculite. If you have a bucket sure. of vermiculite and you stick, you get it hot and then you slowly cool it down. That's part of that subcritical soak too. You want it to slowly. Yeah. Cool. Well, if he's got a forge, another thing that you can do is bring it up to temperature. Uh, bring the forge up to temperature, get that steel hot, and just as it's hitting kind of critical uh, where you would want to quench from, uh, turn the forge off and let it, especially if it's a larger, I'm imagining that it's still a large cross section, especially if it's some sort of uh, like a spring steel scrap or something like that or a ball bearing, uh, and then let it cool down inside the forge. That's going to uh, take that's going to take you at least two or three hours, and by the time you're down to, to where you can handle it, um, you're going to be good. That's awesome. That's actually when I do subcritical soak with uh, Aaron Wilburn. That's what he does with the at the last the last uh, cycle of the subcritical soak is you basically let the uh, kiln turn off, and then you let it cool down in the kiln, and then until it's ice cold, and that's that is like butter. Total butter. The other thing yeah. is, is you know, a lot of guys, um, a lot of guys are doing where they're drilling. They're they're using a torch and they're keeping the blade cool, and they're using a torch on the tang, and then you can just drill. Sure. And yeah, you know, I've definitely done that myself. Yeah, you just kind of bring it up to kind of like a cherry red, and kind of hold it there, and that is enough to uh, so, to make it so you can drill into the steel. And you can wrap the the blade of the ricasso sure. area with uh, wet rags to kind of keep it keep the blade from heating up too much too yeah yeah also throwing it in a vice the vice will act as a heat so sink and those jaws and those will that'll also help keep that heat from transferring up into the blade good one good one put Uh, some aluminum in there too you got a whole thing going on yeah that's answer but you know if you if you're talking scrap steel again we've talked about this in the past steel can be so inexpensive to buy and 
next week, a bit of a radio tease here, we're going to have a discount with a very well-known steel supplier. So <laughs> make sure you're listening next week, especially if you're in the US. Oh. There you go. Take your guesses. Who's it going to be? Royal, some <laughs> fucking royalty. Only the, we, only, we only work with the best. Oh, so, that's you know, for sure. There's, right. a, there's a tip. There's a clue. Damn right. Okay, we got one last one from Josh Lowe, 88. He says, how do I get a 1084 blade to take a darker etch? I've heat treated, hand sanded to 400 and cleaned thoroughly and still can't get a dark etch. Using 75% fair chloride and 25% apple cider vinegar, do I need the heat solution mixture up or just use straight fair chloride? Thanks for your time. Okay, so... um. The part of my concern with this, or part of the, I guess, my thought in why it's not darkening up is uh, manganese is a main contributor, as we learned last week uh, in, the, <laughs> in the quiz, as as to why the steel will want to darken up. And in 1084, um, the, the manganese content can be a little bit all over the place. Um, most chemical uh, steel compositions they have ranges within which um, the, the the different elements should be um, uh, content-wise. So when a you know when a makers or you know a company is making a certain type of steel, they have kind of like these guidelines to work within because it's it's very challenging to hit those marks absolutely perfectly, and so. 1084, it can have low enough manganese that you could set a hormone. So what manganese does is it allows the steel to deep, or it, it, it lends deeper hardening to the steel, it, it, which means it it quenches it, it quenches slower. Uh, so you can get you can get the steel hard no problem, but it can be low enough that you can set a, a hormone on that blade. Um, but it can also be hard enough or high enough manganese content that you can't. There's just no way you'll ever get there. And I, I actually happen to have some 1084 that is low enough manganese content that you can set a hormone. And what happens is because it has that low manganese content, it will not blacken up. I have not been able to get it to blacken up. The only thing that I could think that might work for you is to do what you're doing right now. Get it into the, the ferric mixture. And then, uh, you know, give it five minutes, ten minutes in the ferric so that that ferric creates kind of a toothy, uh, rough textured surface on that blade. Clean it off, uh, you know, just soap and water, you know, rinse, neutralize the acid, rinse it off, and then go into an instant coffee bath from there. Um, and we've talked about the instant coffee before. Um, but, yeah, I think... That, that would probably be your best bet. Uh, if this is not a chef's knife, uh, so it's not necessarily going to be coming into contact with food, there are all kinds of stuff that you can do to blacken that blade. You can use, uh, you know, uh, hot bluing. You can use, uh, oh, of course, I'm going to shit the bed on trying to think of what the other one's called. Use a Sharpie. Parkerizing. Use park, a Sharpie. Park, you can use a Sharpie, <laughs> but you can use parkerizing, <laughs> parkerizing solution which also blackens the blade uh, and you can get a really nice black uh, look if you go check out uh, the derosiers stuff they use parkerizing solution a lot um, on their blades and it gets black as night it's crazy cool it, so there's, anyways there's people who do oxidizing and then you can also i actually mm -hmm. got from uh, a gun company i got some 
like it was like spray paint, but it was like an epoxy, and then you put it on, and it made it uh, like kind of like almost it, lo it looked closer to. Uh, Ah, fuck, I have no idea. It doesn't look, it look, whatever you said, I, <laughs> I don't remember. I don't fucking remember. Brunel, it's called Brunel. God damn it, forget it. I don't know, man. Good story. Yeah, it's, no, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Cool story, story, bro. You need coffee, cool too. Cool story, bro. <laughs> Definitely cool story, bro. I forgot. I totally forgot. I like, uh, yeah, black and uh, Rust-Oleum, that's what I like. Matt, Matt Finish. You know, yeah. we could we could go on for hours and hours each Obviously. week with the amount of questions and tips that you guys are sending in. So if we're not we're not featuring yours, um, you know, it's not because we don't want to. It's literally we don't have time. We're, we're, sometimes we don't want to. Sometimes the sometimes questions are too maybe. long. Get your <laughs> but this shit, used to be get your shit short. It used to be a half an hour show, and now we we got to like tape Jeff down after an hour and a half because he'll right. just keep talking and talking. So have mercy. if Come we on, haven't man. featured your question or your tip, we will try and get around to them all. But we're getting more than we can handle each week, so we've got this huge backlog. Um, but just stick with us. Marengo's notes to a new knife maker. All right, so this is part of the show where we talk about some of. Like our own little tips and tricks that we want to offer you uh, to to help in any way that we possibly can. Um, also, just like knowledge and experience, but whatever. So basically, uh, I'm going to kick it off. And my part, uh, what I want to talk about are hammer-ins. And so I mentioned, as I mentioned earlier, I'm going to be going and teaching at uh, the Travis Wurtz Hammer-In this coming weekend. But hammer-ins uh, basically are get-togethers of people who use hammers to do work, whether blacksmiths, uh, bladesmiths, whoever, but um, farriers even. But uh, hammer-ins are usually... Thor. Hammer-ins <laughs> uh, are usually knife-focused, and uh, they're, they're going on around the country, at least in the United States, all the time, all all like year round. There's actually one going on down in uh, uh down in Texas. I think it's Houston or Austin. I think it's anyway. Anyways, uh, our our boy Neil Kamenmore is down there doing some reporting on it actually, which is pretty cool. Um, but but anyways, the the beauty of these hammer-ins uh is the chance to actually get into a place and, and with other makers uh you know to network and meet other people who are basically living the same struggle as you are sharing any kind of pointers and basically do what we do here on the show but in person with a bunch of people if you've ever been to any kind of like if you've ever been to blade show like one of the best things about going to blade show is actually getting to meet the people that whose work you follow and have admired and to see the work in person ask them directly for advice or just to get to know them as a human being in general. Uh, but hammer-ins are awesome. And the thing I love the most about hammer-ins is when I leave a hammer-in, I've taken in so much information. I've always, I've never walked away from a hammer-in without learning something. And, but my, my, my my excitement around knife making and the energy that I want to put into it is just been like pumped up 10x and i'm ready to get back in the shop and get working again and i have all these different new ideas that i want to try out and this new information and knowledge that i need to that i want to implement it's just it's it's a great hammer are a great way to um 
you know, reinvigorate your excitement around knife making, uh, especially if you do this full time. And sometimes it can get into kind of a repetitive grind. Like I feel sometimes, uh, these hammer ins, whenever I can get a chance to go spend time with other knife makers and, and forgers, uh, it's a huge, it, it helps me. It just, if it, it's like filling up the gas tank basically of creativity and, um, and it makes a huge difference in my ability to produce and feel good about doing this work basically. Hammerins are good. That's what I got. I'm not mad about, awesome. I'm not mad about that. I'm a, I don't love mm-hmm. a hammer. I love a hammer. Um, I, 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 that's perfect. That's perfect. Hammerins are awesome. Um, I'm going to just change it up a little bit. Uh, one thing yeah. I wish I learned when I was younger, and this is simple stuff, but um, when I'm putting my scales together and I'm putting, uh, and I'm doing a full tang knives and I'm putting scales together to drill, what I like is crazy glue, or I guess they call it C. I don't know why they call it CA glue. What does CA glue mean? CA. Cyanoacrylate. Yeah, something like that. What? One more time? Cyanoacrylate, right. I think. All right. Crazy. I'm probably saying it wrong. No, no. That's but essentially, sure. it's, it's liquid plastic, super glue. I like. Yeah. I, all right. So basically, if I have my scales, if I have two scales together, and let's just say, just for argument's sake, that they're just G10, simple G10 scales, and they're, you know, inch and a half by five. I'll put them together with two tiny dots, two tiny dots, mm. and with especially with, like, G10 or micarta, mm. don't rough them up. Keep that slick, keep that slick face. And you can do this with wood. Yeah. This is how I make all my knives, all my well, knives. I do two tiny dots, and I, I press them together, put a little clamp on there until they're, until they're uh, hard. And then I lay that block onto my knife, so I can trace out the rough idea of what the knife's going to be, including the bolster. Then I'll drill, I'll uh, grind, I'll, I'll uh, cut all that away. And then what I can do is, you, if you have a, uh, your bolster has a, like an angle, you can sand that angle down, and then you can finish the bolster with both of the pieces together. They're not going to move because they're super glued together. Two tiny dots. And then you can get them down to finished. And then you lay your knife onto that block, and you can do all your drilling on top, and then when it's all done, I take a little bit of a, a razor blade and I put it in between the seam and I give it a little knock, and then my scales are ready to roll. They're all been indexed. Yeah. The the indexing is perfect. I know some guys use uh, a blue tape. I use just the tiniest bit of of two tiny dots of super glue, and I get such great results in terms of the fit up, in terms yeah. of the drilling. As long as everything is um, square. Everything's it's gonna be a, it's gonna be an easy way for you to prep all your scales. Now the one thing I will say is is when it comes to if you're using wood, you got to be a little extra careful because sometimes the super glue is uh, stronger than the wood. So when you're popping it off, mm. what can yeah, happen is out. you can chip out a little bit of the wood. So, but right. for for G10 for all that stuff, I love using this because I, I know guys. Um, I don't know how you do. I don't know how you would do it one at a time and get good results doing one scale at a time. It's just like it just seems like you're spending a lot of time. And it was the super glue trick. I don't remember where I learned it from, but it turned it turned sure. handle making, especially for full tang knives, just super super efficient. Just super efficient. I love it. I can't get enough of it. Yeah, nice. glue tacking is an awesome awesome trick that makes. That makes things. It just allows it frees up your hands more than anything, oh. and especially with the glue. It, with the glue, it doesn't shift or move around. Like if you're using tape, it's possible for stuff to shift a little bit. With the glue tack, it ain't going anywhere unless you accidentally hit it against like you know the drill table a little bit too hard and that glue joint pops. So you also want to be careful with that. But um, 
But the glue, the glue tack is where it's at. Oh, it's a good, especially a good for the bolster, move. for that bolster, because now you can actually sand the whole thing together, and you can look at the mm. bolster and make sure that it's that it's that it's uh, equal. You know, you you're, and then when the yeah. fit up, and then and then if you're using your 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 holes for your tang as your as your guide, you're gonna have a you're gonna have a perfect. The fitting is going to be perfect, and every time I'm always it got to, it gets to the point where I almost take it for granted how easy it is <laughs> because I get yeah. good res- I get the perfect results in terms of the full tang knives. Yeah, yeah, nice, love it. But my tip this week is super super simple. So it's just keeping your stuff tidy. So I've been on this process of getting everything out of the shop and putting it back in where it should be, all that kind of thing. So what I have now, I have a station under each machine. So, I, you know, there's a door to stop the dust and crap getting in. Um, but behind each door is the tools required for that, just for that machine. So, you know, for my hmm. grinder, for the bandsaw, drill press, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. And it just saves, I know where everything is. It just saves me so much time. I'm doing less steps around the shop. And it, you know what? It just feels like a nicer place to be in. Everything is away. Everything, as I say, is where it should be. Everything's at, at hand. You know, if if I need the wrench, to, you know, for something on the grinder, where you know, changing the platen angle or whatever, the wrench is it's there. You know, I'm not walking around the shop. Where the hell is that? Where did I use it last? It's just there. So it's just yeah. made a huge difference because I'm so unorganized normally. I'm terrible, really terrible. But you know, it's it's just a simple thing. But I think if you can just get into that routine of putting stuff back where it came from the minute you finish using it, you know what it is every time, and it just makes the day just so much more productive, so much more enjoyable, and it just makes the shop a much nicer place to be in. So keep your shit tidy. That's the tip. And shout out to our boy <laughs> Brett over at Skull and Spades. He's a, he uh, he's an awesome guy, and he has a whole thing about keeping your if you keep your if you keep your shop sh- tidy and send it to Skull and Spades. He love that's his favorite thing. He loves he loves to do uh, some uh, keep your shop sh- tidy. He lets his move. Mm. Uh, I thought you were gonna go into like a Dollar Shave Club commercial or something yeah, like that. that started... I could use it. I could use a Dollar Shave Club. I, I look like shit right now. I believe. <laughs> uh, worn out Vince Vaughn. Oh, that's the one. biggest worn out Vince Vaughn. I, I look. I look like. I look like a steaming <laughs> pile of human sewage. I look like shit. <laughs> well, you know, we All haven't right. done this for a while, but it's the end of the show. But I just want to do a quick thirty seconds of happiness. What made you happy this week, Morocco? Uh, I'll go first. Yeah. Uh, so on my days off in the last few weeks, uh, something I've started doing with my son uh, is baking. And he loves, especially at his age, he just, he loves seeing the transformation of things changing. And I think I might have talked about it before, but we made lemon bars yesterday and uh, with shortbread crust and like a lemon curd. Oh, it's so good. Nice. And so, yeah, but he loves it. He loves doing that. And so it's a lot of fun uh, watching him just get a kick out of making a mess basically a controlled mess nice nice jeff 30 seconds um, what made you happy this 30 week? seconds of joy uh uh my daughter is she wants to teach herself how to play guitar so she's been in her nice. room watching youtube videos and teaching herself how to play guitar she doesn't really want to take lessons she we did lessons a long time ago it didn't really doesn't really how she wanted to do it and she's doing it on her doing it herself 
And she, we actually also went to um, the high school for an orientation. She's getting ready to go to high school. I'm very proud of Boy. my sweet daughter who is uh, she's a good kid and she's got a good head on her shoulders and I'm not worried about her. So she makes, she makes me very, very happy. And I'm not going to follow nice. it up with anything awful. Nice. Nice. You know? You, you, know what, you know what she should do? Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> um, I play guitar and piano and so on, but completely self-taught. But, you know, whenever I, w- I went to any sort of lesson or anything, I, I just lost interest because they yeah. make you do scales and they make you do theory and stuff like that. But these days you just go on, you can find a tab to, like, a, a popular song that you like. That's what she's doing. And you can learn that song in half an hour, you know? And all of a sudden, you know that song, and that's the biggest inspiration ever. You can then go off, change the chords, make your own songs, whatever. Sit in there and learn the theory. She's she's watching videos on on Blackbird. She wants to play Blackbird. So she's she's having a good time. She's starting starting with Blackbird. That's that's a tricky one. Yeah, but I mean, look, my wife and I said we're going to leave her alone. She's enjoying Uh, it the way it is. We're not going to like tell yeah. her how you should do it. This is what she wants to do. She's enjoy- She's in her room. She's being very positive, doing something that she wants to do, and she wants to learn it herself. God bless her. I ain't Let saying us, shit. I, 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 I fu- you know what? Moment of joy goes to misery. My dad used to make me play the fucking cello, <laughs> and I hated it. I hated every moment. Oh, here we go. And my teacher, here we go. and my fucking teacher was such an asshole. She was so mean to me. She used to say, "Why don't you tell you? Why doesn't your brain tell your fingers how to work? Your fucking brain isn't telling your fingers how to work." I hated it, and my parents made me do it. And I hated playing the cello. So if she wants to yeah. play the guitar, she wants to learn herself. God bless her. I'm gonna leave her alone. I'm not gonna tell her what to do. Do you know what your homework assignment is this week, Jeff? You know Neil Kamamura does these brilliant videos playing guitar with his son and singing. Yeah, I'd love to see you and your daughter sing. That ain't happening. I'm staying away. I'm keeping it. I'm staying away from it. Let her. I'm gonna let her. I'm gonna let her. I'm not gonna interfere with her joy. How you like that? Good. It's a good one. It's a good one. My thirty seconds of joy has been this morning. So um, there's a a fishing competition locally. Um, So I got up at seven o'clock. Um, and they do fishing very different here in France. So we start fishing at 7 o'clock. At 8.30, a bell goes off. They bring out bottles of wine, oh. big vats of soup, um, mm. coffee. And, you know, we all had a bottle of wine, you know, before 9 a.m. this morning. Oh, my God. So, yeah, fishing in France is, brings me joy. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. Did you catch anything? Two, tr- two big trout. It was nice. good. It was good. I didn't win the competition, but I won a bottle of wine as well as drinking a bottle of wine. It's all good. It sounds like you won. That sounds a win to me. If somebody gave me a bottle of wine at nine o'clock in the morning, I'm going to question their. I'm going to question their motives. (laughs) Brilliant! It was great. But that's that's a show. That's a show. So thanks again for listening, and we shall speak to you again next Monday. Aye aye. Ta ta. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.